Camera speeds. Hey, Mark. Hey guys, welcome back to another episode of the Focus Polar Work Podcast. I am Nicholas Brown and I'll be your host. Today I'm speaking with Jeff Marks. Jeff is a first AC based in Oklahoma City, Oklahoma. We discuss how Jeff works mostly in the indie feature world and also how he teaches a camera assistant class in his off time. Enjoy. All right, I am here with Jeff Marks. You are a first assistant camera, correct? Correct. So how did you get into the business? What what, what got you interested in starting and, and becoming a filmmaker? Well, I w- have always been interested in film and movies and like a lot of people that work in this industry, uh, started with a camcorder that recorded to VHS with my sisters running around filming stupid little things that no one would ever want to watch. Um, <laughs> but how I actually got into it in a previous life. I worked at a bank for about five years and uh, thought that that was going to be my career. Really? Yeah. And myself and a couple of friends of mine that I worked with, we would make these little short films and a lot of them are really dumb, but we thought they were funny. And uh, one of them we submitted to like a film festival. But I never really thought that uh, working in the film industry was viable where I live. I live in Oklahoma City and I I just I didn't even know there were productions being filmed there until one day a gentleman walks up to my desk at the bank and says he wants to open an account like a high yield checking account is what he said. And he wanted to start it with something like one hundred thousand dollars. So whenever someone comes in with that amount of money, we have to ask more questions. So through those questions, I found out that that was the opening deposit for a movie that was about to be made. You know, obviously my ears perked up and I just wanted to know everything I could at that point. So come to find out he is a professor at a local community college in Oklahoma City. And he told me that I should come by and take a tour of the studio. And I did. And I immediately put in my two weeks notice at the bank and enrolled in the school. That's awesome. Um, And the movie that he opened the account for was the first feature film that I worked on. So you went straight from working at a bank and interviewing, excuse me, not interviewing, but like, well, I guess kind of interviewing a guy that was trying to open up a bank account to going to the school and then into a feature. Yeah. That's yeah. pretty impressive. How, how long, how much like time was there between like you working at the bank, meeting this gentleman and then like starting this movie? Uh, I want to say it was like six months later or something. Yeah. I, I just immediately enrolled and uh, started going to class and his class was one of my first classes that I took, which was cinematography one. Nice. Yeah. And the, I don't know how legal it was, but the film was offered as like like a summer course. So I actually had to pay $325, however much it costs for a single course for like school credit. But it was an actual film. Ended up on Netflix for not very long because it was pretty terrible. <laughs> As you can imagine, made by a bunch of students. But <laughs> but uh, 
yeah, I mean, that's kind of how I got in. From there, I just worked on as many student projects as I could. I didn't graduate film school because I started working in the field and that was the whole reason I was there. Right. Anyway, so. I hear that a lot. There's a lot of people specifically in, in Charleston because there's a really good community uh, college here that has a really good film program. And, you know, they shoot enough stuff here that basically I know a lot of people that just do like a year or two at the community college and then just like start working and they never finish. Yeah, yeah. I, I actually used to say, no offense, because I know you did finish, but I used to tell people that if you graduate film school, then I'm probably not going to hire you. <laughs> <laughs> well, like I said, I'm on, on uh, an episode of Second Sticks before, like I've, I've, you know, when I first got into the business, people did kind of like, you know, make jokes at me and stuff. So like you finished film school, like, yeah. But I mean, where I grew up, I mean, there was no, where I went to college, I guess there was no, there wasn't really a big film industry at all. I mean, it's tiny here, but it was like super tiny. I didn't even know it existed until I left, you know? So. Yeah. Yeah. I've, I've since changed my tone. I've, like <laughs> graduating and having a degree is a good thing. It has yeah, value. Absolutely. Absolutely. So after you did this feature film, you know, you did a couple of years in school, never really finished it. You, you did this feature film. Were you, first of all, were you working in the camera department or what were you doing on the show? Uh, so the, on that film, I was the dolly grip. You went um, straight into dolly gripping? Straight in. I started as a company grip, but, okay. you know, I, I always, I've always had a good work ethic and I've always worked hard. So uh, they asked me to be the dolly grip about a weekend. So yeah, I mean, dolly grip is referred to as the camera grip a lot of times. So that was kind of like my first introduction into working alongside the camera department. Did you know that you wanted to be in the camera department or was it a thing that you discovered as you were getting on sets? The more sets that you were on, the more you were like, I think I'd rather be doing that. Yeah, no. Um, I actually, when I was in film school, I was like the gaffer around school. Like I was, like I said, I would do as many student projects as I could, but I was always lighting. And then I got a call to be the camera utility on a super low budget movie by uh, Stacy Mize. Shout out to Stacy Mize. And uh, that was my first my first time to work in camera. So I was like setting up Video Village. The movie was filmed in 3D, which was pretty crazy. First experience on a real movie. Yeah. Shooting 3D. So I'm here I am running like double banded cables because like we couldn't at the time we couldn't use wireless video transmitters uh, because it's two signals. So I'm I'm running double banded cable to the stereographer and to video village from the stereographer. So it was a pretty crazy first time working in camera. How did that work? Did they, like, I've never done a 3D movie or any kind of 3D anything at all. So were, was the video village, did they, were they able to, were they just looking at two separate images or were they able to look at a 3D image through the stereographer? So you could only see the 3D image from the stereographer's station. I would just send a single image to video village because even at the stereographer's station, you still have to wear the 3D glasses and it gives you a headache and yeah, I don't know. That's so interesting. I've never, I never thought about it like that. What, what, what cameras were you guys using? Was it the red cameras? Yeah, they were, they were red. I think the dragon had just came out. So it was like 
two red dragons, one vertical, one horizontal with a beam splitter. Oh, wow. um, yeah. And the stereographer would like twist a knob and line them up so that the left eye and right eye would match. That's so weird. Yeah. It's an interesting thing. It doesn't, I've never been around it. So it's, uh, I think I would be terrified even at this point with all the experience that I have, I think I would be just like completely stressed out all day. Yeah. I'm, <laughs> I'm kind of glad I had no experience at that point because it was, I was like, oh, well, this is blah, blah, like, this is how it's done. Right. And also you could just be like, I have no idea what I'm doing. How are you going to get mad at me? Right. <laughs> <laughs> so how did you transition? So you did camera utility on that job. Then did you go and become like a, a loader? Did you do second AC, first AC? How did it go? Yeah. So I worked my way up really fast, probably faster than I should have. I did that one movie as a utility. And then after that, I was a second AC. And so that the 3D movie I worked on was in 2011, I believe. And by 2013, I had my first job on a feature as a first AC. I was definitely not ready. I was kind of thrown into it because it was supposed to be a one camera shoot, but the DP every day just would pull off the spare body off of the truck and go shoot something by by himself. And uh, the first AC said, if you're going to be doing this every day, we need two camera crews. So I got bumped up to being the B camera first, which the DP was operating. So it was kind of a weird situation. And I was terrible, as you can imagine. <laughs> so yeah, I mean, I worked kind of as a first AC and second AC back and forth, mainly seconding for another three years or so. And then I think 2016 was the last time that I second AC'd. So you've been pulling focus so, for five years? Uh, yeah. Almost six years. Almost six That's years. awesome, man. So uh, what do you think your favorite uh, LCS is and why? Well, I'm a Preston guy. Why? I prefer Preston because there is little to no delay. Like if I make a micro movement in my hand unit, you can see it immediately in the monitor. It's just really accurate, super strong motors. And it's a workhorse. You don't have to worry about it. Do you think it's important for a first AC to own gear? Like what do you, what, what gear do you own or what gear do you think of like a first AC should own? Uh, so I own a 1303 for my focus monitor. I think it's, that's one of the basics that a first AC should own is their own monitor. And I'll admit I waited way too long to purchase one because I was like, well, the production will just rent me one anyway. But then you end up using, you know, some rental houses monitor that's not calibrated correctly. And it, it's different on everything you work on. So yeah, I bought my 1303. I have it calibrated the way I want. I have all the settings the way I want. Um, and now I I can't work without it. I mean, I could, but I don't want to. What other pieces of equipment do you think it's important for a first AC to own? Uh, I think carts are important. They're not necessary to own, but I guess nothing's necessary to own. But uh, we you can't really make a living just on your day rate. You have to supplement it with equipment rentals, and uh, having your own equipment. I was just going to say, I, I think that owning carts and, and gear is smart because 
kind of what we do is like you you prep a show, you shoot a show, you wrap a show, you prep a show, you shoot a show, you wrap a show. And if you have your own gear, you you create your own like workflow with your own personal stuff. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. And so then you're like, if you're renting gear constantly, if you're, so let's, you're from Oklahoma, you're in Charleston right now shooting a movie. Let's say you go from here to uh, Hawaii and you get there and you realize all the carts that they have available there for rent are like Madliner, Magliner Juniors. Mm-hmm. That can cause a problem for you at prep when you're like, crap, we, we're not ready. You know what I mean? Like we can't, I'm not used to having this tiny cart. Yeah, which know? I have had that happen to me before. I've worked quite a bit in Boston lately. And uh, with the first two movies I did in Boston, the rental house just didn't have a Jaeger available. All they had was a Magliner. And when I'm flying, I normally can't travel with a cart. So, uh, yeah, I mean, you run into challenges like that. Yeah, it just, it it helps to, you know, when you own your own carts and gear and stuff, it just helps to... Make sure that, you know, even though you're maybe working with a different crew every job or a different state or, you know, different rental like camera package, at least there's some like line of familiarity through each job yeah. that, you know, well, I've got my cart. I trust yeah. my cart. Yeah. I got my small HD 1303 that has my settings on it, you know, and that just helps. I think that's just it's very helpful. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And even even when I do travel and have to use you know, carts that I'm not familiar with, I still set it up basically the same way. So I'll have my larger bag that I always put on the bottom. I have my tool bag that I put on the top. And then, you know, I basically have everything on the cart set up the same way from movie to movie. So at least like that little bit of consistency helps, I think. Yeah, and there's no having to search for something because you already know where it's going to be. Exactly. And searching for something it, it is terrible. Especially when you're in a rush. <laughs> yeah, and we're always in a rush, you know. Like, efficiency is number, like, one of the top things, I think. And it's hard to be efficient if you can't find things. Exactly. So, you've been you've been doing this for, when did you start doing this? When was that first movie? Uh, the first movie I did was in 2010. Okay, so about 11 years, mm-hmm. almost 12 years you've yeah. been doing this. How do you think it's affected your personal life? Like, when you used to have a 9-to-5 bank job, obviously you got off work at 5 p.m. or whatever. You know, I'm just using that as an example, but you knew you had the whole rest of your night to do whatever you wanted to do. Mm-hmm. You know, you could hang out with friends, go see your family, do whatever. You've been doing this now for 11 years. How has that changed your personal life? And is it for the better or for the worse? Or is it just another thing in life that you just had to adjust to? Uh, I mean, I definitely think it's for the better, especially as far as like my mental well-being goes because I'm happier doing this than I would be doing anything else. Certainly happier doing this than I was working at the bank. But it is a challenge. It's hard to plan like a vacation because if a job pops up, it's hard to uh, get a refund on flights and, you know, you have to disappoint people a lot. But, you know, I wouldn't, I wouldn't still be doing it if I didn't love it. As inconsistent as it is, it's kind of, uh, it keeps me on my toes. And I like that. Yeah, it's definitely a very, it's not an everyday, like normal job. You know, whenever you talk to someone in person, like if you meet a new person, they say, what do you do? What's your, you know, what do you do? And you say, oh, I work in the film industry. I'm a camera guy or whatever. There's always more questions. Oh, that's super cool. Like, how does that work? You know, it's not like, a, oh yeah, I work at a, I'm not dissing anybody, but it's like, oh yeah, I work at like, you know, Sears. Sears isn't a business anymore, right? Uh, 
I don't know. I think Anyways, maybe it's, online. I it's know. like, yeah, I work at Sears. No one's like, oh, cool. What do you do at Sears? It's just... Yeah, there's oh. not follow-up questions. <laughs> right. So it's just, a, it's a different kind of lifestyle that I think is interesting to people, you know? Sure, sure. Like if I met someone that works on an oil rig or a fishing boat or something, I would ask more questions. Right. Because it's not the, not the normal thing. Mm-hmm. So I think that's, you know, another cool thing about our career is that it's just very non-conformist. That's not the word. Uh, it's non-traditional, I guess. That's the word I'm looking for. Um, but it, yeah, it it does get hard to explain. Like, I can either give them a short and sweet answer that is really dumbed down, or I can go for like days talking about what, what my job encompasses. Right. Expanding on that, actually, did do your the friends that you had when you were working at the bank. Uh, do you still have those friends or did some of those people, not to depress you if they did, but like, was it kind of a thing where you kind of had to change your friend group because people were like, well, we don't ever even ask Jeff to do anything anymore because he's always busy. You know what I mean? Yeah. Well, I mean, we kind of just grew apart like you do with uh, with people. As I got deeper and deeper into the film industry, you kind of have less and less in common with those people. We're still friends in social media and things. And uh, one of the guys went to go... Uh, he ended up being like an in-house editor for a company in Oklahoma. So he kind of was in the same field. But yeah, we just, we kind of lost touch. We still, you know, message occasionally on social media. But yeah, my, I mean, my life is completely different now yeah. than it was. And I'm sure theirs is too. Um, and I think a lot of that also just has to do with, you know, you were in college back then basically. And now we're, yeah. everyone's an adult now. And like, even, you know, as you grow older, whether you work in film or not, people kind of grow apart because, you get your own life and you're, you get so busy with responsibilities and work and all that stuff. But I just feel like I've, I don't think I've really had anyone in my personal life since I've been in the business that has kind of just been like, okay, well, I guess I'm not going to hang out with that guy anymore. I mean, there's people that I'm still really good friends with that I don't see that often just because of the business. But when I do get to see them, they're like, Hey, what's up, man? You know, I've never had anybody be like negative about it. Right. But it definitely is a thing where and it's funny because John Apsey, our utility, mm-hmm. um, this is his first, Great guy, John. Yeah, this is his first like big, you know, actual job in the camera department where he's done like the whole job, the whole show. You know, he's day played with me before, but yeah, he's been fantastic. Um, but just yesterday I was talking to him and I said something about, you know, it was, I guess it was Sunday when we were working. I was like, yeah, man, when I get off work tonight, I'm going to watch a movie or something. I said that. And then he goes, you're not going to do that. And I'm like, I know, because <laughs> right now we're, we're, you know, still, I still have energy right now, but as soon as I get home, I'm just on the couch and fall asleep. And he's like, I never really understood before what you meant when you like would make plans with me and you would say you were going to make plans with me after work. And then, you know, and then I, I never understood when you like would bail on me and it's not bailing. It's just that I'm so tired after right. work. Right. So he's like yesterday or Sunday, he was like, yeah, I get it now. Like, I understand. Like, I just want to go home and fall asleep every night. <laughs> it is like, yeah, it's, I mean, it's hard for the lay person to understand it, that we work, you know, 60 to 80 hours a week. And I am sure you also, like, I don't get to watch as many movies or shows as I'd like to because, you know, we're working all the time. And even like on, on this movie that we're working on now, for example, I've, have days off, but I don't really have days off. Like I'm still having to work on my days off and I haven't really had a day off until this weekend, which was yesterday and today. 
but now I'm prepping for a movie that I have coming up back in Oklahoma. So it's, even though I'm not working on this, I'm working on the next thing. But in the other thing too, is like, you're still technically working on this, even though it's your weekend, like you're not done with this job yet. We have another week to shoot plus a, pre- a wrap out, two wrap out days. Right. So now you're dealing with this show along with that other show. Mm-hmm. So you'll probably be answering emails about the other job while we're working this week. Yeah. Yeah. Kind of like I was before I came to South Carolina, I was working on another movie at the same time, trying to prep for this movie. Um, so yeah, it's literally like very little time off and we don't get paid for that time that we spend answering emails and text messages and phone calls. You know, that's all off the clock. Yeah. I just read an article yesterday. I can't remember who, which country it is, but there's a country that just made it illegal for a boss to text an employee outside of work hours. Oh, wow. Is it America? <laughs> no, it's definitely not America. Dang it. <laughs> but that would be cool, right? Uh, we'll, that would maybe, be amazing. Maybe yeah. we'll get there someday. I doubt oh, it. Oh, then I could double dip. So I heard that you teach a camera class. Is it just a film? Is it at the school you went to? No, um, it's not associated with the school. Yeah, it's a... Uh, it's a program started by a local rental house in Oklahoma City. And they're, the guy that was like kind of spearheading the program now has started a nonprofit uh, solely dedicated to this. And I just got an email about it whenever we were co- going up the elevator. Oh, really? <laughs> about the next one, yeah. So Oklahoma is a very small market, but we have decent incentives. So we'll get like sometimes three, four, six movies at a time shooting all at the same time in Oklahoma City. Wow. And we don't have the crew base to support that. So this program is for people that are, you know, junior, seniors in high school or early college age that are interested in working in film. And we take like three to four days. We'll do a prep day where, you know, we teach the kids there's there's every department as well. It's not just camera. But as far as my job goes, we teach the kids how to prep a camera, what like how to prepare for a shoot, teach them general terminology because there's a lot of jargon for every different every different department has, you know, their own like weird language basically. And then we go and shoot a short film. It's usually like 2 or 3 days of shooting a day of prep, a day of rap. Yeah. And the idea is to take this framework that we're building and create more like class time experiences in more colleges in Oklahoma. So basically just trying to reach out to as many people as possible and show them what I didn't know, which is that, yes, you can have a career in film in Oklahoma and we need more people to, right. to want to do that. It's like an, a miniature film school, but like production, right. like on the production side of it. Right. And then the, the end goal would be just to like raise awareness about what the jobs are like and to create a larger film, you know, crew in Oklahoma. Exactly. Yeah. That's really awesome. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's a really cool, really cool program. The college that I, that I went to for film is an, they have an amazing program and it's, it's more like a trade school. So it's like more geared towards people that want to work on the crew side, as opposed to, you know, like learning theory and screen. I mean, there is screenwriting as well, but 
as great as that school is, I learned like so much more actually working on sets than, I mean, you just can't teach a lot of that stuff in a classroom. So this is great because it's like a crash course and they get on the job training. And by, by the last day, we actually, we let the students completely take over and we're completely hands off. And if they have any questions, we're there, but it's, they're running the show. So it's a, it's a really cool program, I think. Yeah, that sounds really awesome. <laughs> I, I wish it was around when I was in college. How long has that thing been going? How long have you, have you guys been doing that? Um, I think about three years ago was the first one. And we've done maybe two or three of them a year. And I have to tell you, Nick, I know I've told you this before, but the last one that I taught at, the first episode of Focus Puller at Work had just come out. And I listened to it and I was like, wow, this is a great podcast. And this guy, Nick, that's talking is saying, he's pushing all my buttons, saying all the right things. And so I, I told all my students that, hey, you guys should listen to this podcast. This is exactly what I look for in a second AC. And uh, I'm going to tell you, you haven't disappointed, sir. <laughs> Not yet. But I sincerely appreciate Dude, it. We still have a week. Yeah, that's true. I have plenty of time to, to disappoint you. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's really cool that you guys do that. I, I think that, you know, obviously we have a great film school here too, but I think it, it's kind of a cool idea that, that, you know, maybe we should try to start something like that here in Charleston. That would be really cool yeah. to reach out to like high school students and say, Hey, if you want to see what it's like to work on a film set. I mean, it's a, it's a fantastic thing. And shout out to Trevor Rogers. Hope you're listening, Trev. You're probably not, but. <laughs> so you've been a first AC for like almost six years now. What mm -hmm. do you think has been the most challenging job that you've had as a focus puller? Oh man, every job has its own challenges, you know, there's for me, I mean, like you still work with DPs that insist on shooting wide open, you know, and I kind of, I kind of grew up working with DPs like that. So like at first that was definitely a challenge, but now that I've been doing it for a while, it's, I mean, like to me, focus is not the most challenging part of the job to me the other aspects are making sure my crew is taken care of, trying to get the right gear for the job when you're on a budget, which, you know, I'm pretty sure no one has ever heard of anything that I've ever worked on. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, I've worked on a ton of low budget stuff. So there's always budgetary challenges. Even on the bigger movies, there's always budgetary challenges. But uh the movie that I unfortunately had to leave a movie early to come do this movie with you and Ed, Ed Wu, who was just on an episode of Second Six Podcast. Listen to it. Yes, the Wu Hawk. Wu Hawk. <laughs> he's um, our DP on the job that we're doing. Yeah, and he's great. But anyway, I unfortunately had to leave that movie to come do this one. Um, and that movie, even though I've been working in camera for 10, 11 years, that was my first time to shoot on film. And it was uh, Super 16. We were shooting on an Aerie 416. So it was almost like relearning how to do my job. And I think I, it was more me psyching myself out, you know, because uh, it's like, oh, once it's, once it's on film, it's like, you can't go back and reshoot. Like, 
if I mess it up, I won't know for five days or however long it takes to get dailies. The mental aspect got to you. Right. Sure. <laughs> and uh, so I had for like a few weeks, I had been, you know, researching and trying to find blogs and YouTube videos and things like that. And um, unfortunately, there's not a whole lot out there. There was some helpful stuff, but I had a three day prep, which I think really helped me feel a little more comfortable. But then when we started shooting, it's the DP was doing a lot of like handheld stuff. And so I was I was running tape constantly, you know, like you do. But once he's handheld, he would he'll like throw a curveball at you and you can't see anything through the monitor when film's going through the gate. Right. So it's like uh, the first day I was super nervous and but then I just like my muscle memory kind of took over and I got a lot more confident about it. And I still haven't seen the dailies, but I think they turned out good. I haven't heard anything bad about it. Yeah, so. right. They probably would have contacted you. Or something uh, yeah. <laughs> it's been it's been four weeks now. Yeah. Yeah. They would have, I don't know, tried to charge me for a week of shooting reshoots. <laughs> so I don't know. So what do you think is a, what are what are some good habits of a good first AC or a second AC? What do you look for? So let's start with you. So you're a first AC. What do you think is are good habits for a first AC? One of the most important things is organization, because as ACs, we like the worst thing possible is for production to be waiting on us. Like we never want that to happen. So like just being organized, knowing where things are, uh, having a routine, I think is really important. And I don't know, just ha like having a routine, I think is super important because if you're if you're doing the same thing over and over and over, things just get done faster, more efficiently. I, I agree with that because a routine is important, not only just for that, but it's also for, and I've said this before on a different episode, if you're like right now after COVID, we're basically staying within the 10 to 12 hour range of workdays. They've done a pretty good job on every job I've been in since COVID of keeping it to like a shorter quotation shorter day. Yeah. But like I've been on an 18 hour day before. I've been on a 19 hour day before. And I, I think eventually we will probably move back in that direction once COVID starts to go away and we the world stops worrying about it so much. Mm -hmm. So having a routine is important because when you've been at work for 16 and a half hours. Yeah, your brain kind of goes too much. Yeah, you're exhausted. You don't want to have to be, there's certain things that you don't want to have to think about. You want to, you want it to be automatic. Yeah, robot mode. I'll wrap the cable this way or the batteries are always here. I put a dead battery here. I put a, you know, put all my, I keep all my hot batteries here. Like you don't want to have to think about things. Mm -hmm. Just like, let's just ro like be robotic, stick to a routine so you don't have to think about it, you know? And that's, even when you're not tired, that's, it's great to have the things that you do every single day, that specific way. So you don't have to think about it. Yeah, it's super important. So as far as good habits from, from a second AC, again, organization, I always like, I told you from the beginning, like from our prep, I always put the second AC in charge of organizing, like organizing the carts, because generally you're the one that's going to have to run and go grab things. And I want you to know exactly where things are. And also I, I kind of rely on my second AC to keep me in check because if I miss something, which happens because I'll have, you know, this thing in the future going through my mind and I might not be thinking fully about what's happening right now. I need my second AC to be like, oh, here, you, you're you going to need this. And I'm like, ah, oh, that's great. Thank you. Right. 
Well, that's why I like to, I always like to say like me personally, as a second, I like to be able to do everything that the first has to do. You know, I, I'm minus being a good focus puller because I'm, I'm decent at it, but I'm not great because I haven't done it a ton. But like everything else, like being able to change the lens, you know, being able to adjust the settings in the camera, anything that you need to be doing as a first, I want to be able to do that. So if you're off doing something, you know, you don't have to worry about it. Yeah. Or if like if you're thinking about if you're talking to the DP about the Hydroflex that we're going to need three days from now and prepping it and the DIT calls out a color temperature or, you know, check the stop or the iris isn't working. Can you reset the motor like that kind of stuff? I don't want you to have to like step away from your conversation to come just reset the freaking motor. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. So I think it's important as yeah. a second AC yeah. to basically be able to do the first AC's job, even the focus pulling, but, you know, not necessarily step in and take over pulling focus, but being able to do everything the first AC has to do just to be a backup. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, sometimes I might want to go sit in the hammock and I need you to just do my job for me. <laughs> no, you're you're right. And that's one of the things that I, I tell my students is my... One of my jobs as a first AC is to take as much off of my bosses, the DP's plate, as possible. And that trickles down. So the, the second AC should try to take as much off of the first AC's plate as possible. The utility should try to take as much off of the second AC. And when you, when you have that mentality, things just run a lot smoother and it, it makes the job a lot easier. Because you know you can rely, you know you can rely on me. I can rely on John. Right. John can rely on. Whoever. Yeah, I know. I know that we all have each other's back. We're all here to do the same job. Right. Are there some things that you've had to like overcome and learn as an AC coming up? Ooh, yes. Yeah, for sure. Um, I don't know. Like coming up in Oklahoma City, which is a small market, I I kind of had a chip on my shoulder because. And it might have just been all in my own head. It probably was actually, but I was used to DPs or, you know, like other crew coming in from LA or New York and looking down on local crew. You know, there's there's something we say at home as a joke. We say, Are you a are you a local or a professional? And that's a terrible thing to say, but I felt like when I was like coming into my own that that's how I was looked at. So I had this chip on my shoulder, like feeling like every job I did, I had to prove myself. And the next job, it's just going to start all over and I'm going to have to prove myself again. Right. Whereas now, you know, I'm much more confident in my job. And I feel like now my attitude is like, well, someone, so-and-so recommended me, right? Well, they recommended me for a reason. So... I don't feel like I have to prove myself anymore. I feel like I just have to do what I do every day. Exactly. Yeah. I was going to say, I've been, you know, I've, obviously I live in South Carolina and I work out of South Carolina and I've worked in North Carolina and South Carolina and I've had crews come in, not necessarily from LA, but crews from other places have come in and kind of looked down on mm -hmm. us. And I don't really care because it's a confidence thing with, like you said, it's like where your confidence is now with your job. It's like, I'm just going to do my job and I'm going to do it well. And if you want to judge me because I'm from, I work in South Carolina, then you're an asshole. Right. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's, I am, we are good. Our crews here are great. Oh, they are. I've, I've like, I've been so surprised. Like everyone that we've been working with for the past four or five weeks is amazing. Yeah. Like I would work with this crew over and over and over again. Right. 
So it's just one of those things where it's like, I'm just going to come in and do my job and any kind of preconceived notion that someone might have will probably go away very, Mm -hmm. you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. And I, I wish I would have had that attitude much earlier on in my career, but it all, I mean, that also came from like me not being very confident in my job. And I see that now, but at the time I was like, oh, I'm, I'm better than this person thinks I am. They just (laughs) won't pay attention or, you know. Yeah. Right. But really, I wasn't. I wasn't as good as I thought I was. It is. It's part of growing up. It's part of you know everyone's learning, even to this day. You know, right. I've gotten better at my job, but I'm sure in five years I'll be even better at my job. Yeah. So that's just part of being an adult. <laughs> yeah, and I also like I never want to stop learning. I feel like if I feel like I know everything, then I need to change careers. Oh yeah, that, that's the thing. You're you're never going to really know everything, especially in our business where technology changes so fast. That's true. Yeah. Do you have any future goals? Like, are, you're obviously you're a first AC. Is that what you want to do? Or would you be happy if you were pulling focus for the rest of your life? Do you love it, or would you do you aspire to operate? Do you want to be a steady camera operator, DP? Mm-hmm. What do you think? Well, yeah. I mean, when I when I first went to film school. That's what I wanted. I wanted to do cinematography. I wanted to be a cinematographer. And that's been the goal for a long time. But now, I, don't, I mean, don't get me wrong, I still would love to shoot more things. And I would, I, I would really love to start operating more. But I love being a first AC. Like, there's something about it, like being the head of a department and, you know, being able to solve problems for for the crew, for the camera crew, for production, just working out logistics and pulling focus. Like I just love every aspect of it. So as of right now, I'm happy doing what I'm doing, but I still do, you know, I wanna keep pursuing operator jobs and eventually DP, but I'm not as as much in a hurry anymore as I was when I was younger, you know, I was like ambitious and hungry and yeah, right. oh, I want to move up. I want to move up. Yeah. But now I think it's smarter, you know, to like just stay in my role and keep learning. And then when the time will come, if it's going to happen, but right now I'm happy doing what I'm doing. Yeah. I think the more I work on the bigger, the, like the more like I work on big projects, the more I watch the DP and all the stresses that they have to deal with, mm-hmm. the less and less I want to do that professionally. Like, I think I still want to shoot my own things, you know, small things right. with my friends and people that I love, you know, that are my friends to, to work with for fun. But I think on the big, big jobs, I think I'd rather just be an AC or, you know, even an operator. You know, I think that I'd be happy if I was a career operator. I think I'd be happy. Yeah. It's like, it's like that whole thing. I played was like some sports when I was younger. I played them because they were fun. But then when it got more and more competitive, it became less and less fun. Right. And so it's kind of kind of like that. So if someone's listening to this, they're a budding camera assistant mm-hmm. and they want to work in the camera department. What, what kind of what piece of advice would you give that person? Someone who's just leaving film school or just took one of your classes and they're trying to find their way into the business or what advice would you give them to, you know, to be successful? My advice would be, have you thought about being a doctor maybe or <laughs> an engineer no i'm kidding so advice to someone wanting to work in camera just starting out like i think just so so i've seen so many people go onto a set for their first time and 
it's a madhouse. You know, there's people running around, everyone's doing a different job and it's all happening super fast until we're set up and then it's like done. And I've seen so many people step onto set for the first time and just have that deer in the headlights look. I don't know what to do with my hands. Am I supposed to stand here? And then like they end up inevitably like being in everybody's way. So my advice, I don't know, I think like being spatially aware is super important, if that makes sense. Like being aware of your surroundings while, you know, kind of watching and paying attention to what everyone is doing around them. And it's easy to be in people's way on set. Like everybody's in everybody's way. Yeah. But, and this is something I was talking to John Apsey about last night, was just act like you're supposed to be there because, and he is, he's been great about that. Like, don't apologize because you're in someone's way. You need to be there. So just be there. Right. And uh, just learn as, try to learn as much as you can. Never stop. Never stop learning. Right. I don't know if that's great advice, but it's something. It's words. So how do you as an AC set your DP up for success? So... Like I said before, I I try to take as much off of the DP's plate as I can. So like my one of my first conversations with Ed, he asked me some camera specific questions and I came back at him with, well, we could do this or we could do this. And he was like, okay, okay. And then he was like, man, I really hate talking camera stuff because he, he's more like a lighting forward DP. Yeah. And I was like, okay, say no more. Like just... Tell me what you want and I'll take care of the rest. Like, I basically want the DP to not worry about anything camera side. I want the DP, he or she, to know that it's all going to be taken care of because DPs have so much other things to worry about. And if I can, if I know that they have confidence in me to take care of anything camera side, then to me, that's helping them succeed and in turn helping me succeed, and in turn helping the entire department and the movie succeed ultimately. Right. Yeah, the DP has so much to, to deal with as it is, like making them deal with something they don't even like talking about sucks. So if you're you know, able to take that off of them, it's just one less thing they have to worry about. It's just going to make the whole thing much better exactly. and smoother. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, you know, it also could possibly get you jobs in the future. Absolutely. If someone loves working with you. More jobs. (laughs) Jeff, thank you so much for taking the time to sit down with me and have a conversation about uh, being an AC. I appreciate it. Yeah, of course. And thanks for being a fantastic second AC. I'm sad this movie's almost over. Me too, man. But uh, I hope we get to do it again. Yeah, absolutely. All right, man. Thanks. All right. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of the Focus Polar at Work podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe to hear each new episode as they drop. If you're interested in being featured on the podcast, please reach out to info at focuspolaratwork.com. Thanks, everybody.